Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod. What's up? I'm Braden Dennis, joined by my co-host, Simon, and you guys will have to forgive me. I sound really sick. I'm not. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, Simon joked about the potential Rona, but uh, maybe I'm hitting puberty, Simon. That could be that could be a possible uh, reason why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree. You're you're much younger than I am. <laughs> this is true, but you're still a young lad in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, exactly. So today, uh, with, before we move on, let's talk about Zoom's absolutely outrageous quarter, uh, the big headline, over 350% in revenue growth from Q2 last year. Um, this has obviously become a household name, and when companies become the verb, in this case for video communication, that typically means it has staying power. Do you agree with that case here in Zoom, other than like the results kind of speak for itself here? Uh, yeah, I mean, the results do speak for themselves. It's kind of hard to argue with that. Um, I think we, we were texting yesterday about it. Um, the one thing I would be careful is because the valuation is so rich for Zoom right now. And, you know, I, I granted it's uh, I think it's a really good company. But at the same time, they're playing in a field that has some huge players that have pretty much infinite pockets like not infinite but huge deep pockets where they're competing with cisco who has webex microsoft who has teams um, and then they're also competing with google who started entering that space as well so the, that's the one kind of not red flag but definitely a risk that you know those companies could just decide to just you know just pour some money in there and potentially dethrone um, zoom video communications I mean, yeah, I, I I see that as a potential risk. I mean, it, when you look at the company, you think, okay, well, there's two main concerns with buying shares. One is that the valuation has now gone quite rich. And two, that you know, their competition is Microsoft and Google primarily, and then Cisco as well. Um, and you think, oh, wow, uh, those companies have infinite amount of capital, it seems like. And... I guess the counter argument to that is that those companies both already existed pre COVID. Like they already had it. I, I think Skype kind of like Microsoft Skype like blew a massive lead on this. Uh, Teams was a good product that came out, but it seemed like they didn't care enough about it until um, they had to. And I think they did a good job. But uh, Zoom did a better job, it seems like, and it has become the verb. Um, And this comes down to what Simon and I were talking before we started taping this episode, is that like valuation ratios across the board, especially in tech, are really high. Uh, You know, price of sales of not only uh, it being like 50x, but forward times sales of 50x, the risk that people need to consider when entering positions at these rate at these levels is when they trade so high compared to earnings and sales is you can get a situation and I'm not saying this is the late 90s 2000 tech bubble I'm not saying that I think I think it is different but 
in the realm of outcomes that it kind of just does nothing for 10 years because it was already so high is possible. Microsoft from 2000, uh, I think it was 2002, to that 2016, during those 14 years, you held the stock with not a single positive return because it, the, 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 the multiple was so, so high uh, before that, that eventually crashed. And then, you know, Microsoft was a phenomenal company during all of that time. But that is the, in the realm of potential outcomes when companies have such high multiples. Yeah, exactly. And it's just for people to be aware, if you want to start uh, a small position in a company you really love, uh, by all means do so, but you should be weighing your position accordingly. Uh, you know, don't as much as I think Shopify is a great business, um, I would not put 50% of my portfolio in there because like Braden mentioned, there's so much baked in into the growth of these companies where for example, you could have a company that people are projecting that will grow its revenue, uh, double them for the next five years. That's what people are projecting. Well, if that company within those five years grows their revenue by, say, 75% instead of doubling them, um, the stock's going to take a huge hit because that the doubling was baked in the price. And even though the company's still doing really well, like Braden just said, um, that could really impact the stock big time and could take several years for, for the uh, stock price to, to recoup from that. 100%. So some of the companies we're going to talk about on this episode, this is kind of like what's on our radar and what are we holding? Uh, this is a sneak peek into Simon and I's portfolios and what we're looking at. Simon, I'm going to let you go first with uh, – I'm going to point out two names that I know you're going to talk about because I know that they are not only Canadian but we've talked about them a lot and um, – is part of the umbrella of companies that we just absolutely love. Yeah, so um, I mean, I guess I'll get started unless you wanted to, uh, you know, to talk about those two names now. But uh, feel free to just jump in. Um, so my top holdings. So I'll give you guys the percentages. I won't give you the actual amounts uh, because I I kind of want to keep that to myself. Uh, but we only we know you only own one share in each, Simon. It's okay. Okay, perfect. That's it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the first one, my top holding, um, so this is across my TFSA. So this is like, I calculated the total value of my whole portfolio. So it includes my TFSA, my RSP, my locked in RSP, but also my pension with my work, um, for my work pension, it's, uh, all index funds. So obviously the percentage might sound a bit high right now, but keep in mind that I do have a large portion in index funds with my defined contribution pension. Um, so the my top stock in terms of percentage is BP. Um, are you surprised, Braden? Not even slightly. So that one is actually 17.5% of my total portfolio. It's been uh, with Teladoc probably my biggest gain in terms of money uh, gain, not percentage-wise. Teladoc definitely takes the lead for that. Um, I've made over 125% with my investment in BEP. So I started and most of my investments started in 
uh, mid-2017, and for whatever reason back then, the uh, renewable stocks as a whole, the sector, was really low. I bought BEP when it was uh, paying like most of my shares like 6.57% dividend. So I can give you an idea how much uh, in terms of the returns I've had. I've reinvested uh, those shares, and I got ter Terraform Power, of course. I've got PEP shares from the uh, merger with Terraform Power, and Terraform Power I got out of really low price. I had already more than doubled my money on that before the merger. Um, so I won't go into detail with BP because we've talked about it before and I think you guys know what they are. And if not, you can just go back to a previous episode. Um, any comment on that uh, on BP, Braden? No, it's an incredible company. They're able to pull off renewable energy projects at scale uh, because of the amount of capital that not only Brookfield as a larger corporation but BEP has available and um, you know these are the best guys in the biz they run an extremely tight ship yeah so my second largest holding um, you can probably guess that one it is Teladoc uh, so that is uh, just under 10% of my whole portfolio um, of course I really believe in Teladoc and the future of telehealth and the recent uh, merger agreement between them and Livongo I think will just for the long term will just be uh, you know a huge tailwind for them as a whole. Uh, next one is BIP, so Brookfield Infrastructure Partners at 6.2% of my holdings. So again, same thing as BEP, uh, you, it's overseen by uh, Brookfield Asset Management, of course. Um, really love that company, stable cash flows. Um, they've recently bought telecommunication assets in India, which I really like uh, because that's a growing market and it's also telecoms I think will keep going. Growing. So, I mean, what's not to like about uh, about BP, right, Braden? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's same way I like BEP. I mean, it's it's, it's a it's a well run company. Yeah, and sorry, I I said BEP, but I'm in BIP for that one. I I, I know you meant BIP. Yeah. <laughs> In case someone's like, oh, what is he talking about? But uh, I digress. Uh, the next one uh, would be Square. So Square at uh, 3% of my portfolio. Uh, Square has been one of my best performers. Um, I'm sure everyone should be pretty familiar with Square. If you're not, uh, Square really started as those little device that you would uh, see in like farmer's markets and stuff like that on people's like iPad or iPhones that would allow you to swipe your credit card. But they've really grown into a uh, much larger payment company uh, there's not as big as paypal but um, definitely a lot to like they're run by jack dorsey who's also the ceo of twitter um, not sure if i would invest in twitter though but uh, i do like what he's done uh, with square as a whole um, and if you guys want us to go a bit more in detail with square we might be able to do a maybe a part two payment episode at some point and talk about other payment companies if we're moving on to my my holdings as well, we that should reinforce the fact that we need a breakdown on just payments in general because as I list mine off, you'll realize that we are both very aligned on on companies we like in the payment space and we see huge, huge global runway for growth atop this large secular trend with cash being dead. So um, if, if you're if you're wrapped up, I'm going to rifle through a couple companies myself. I have nine that I'm going to talk about. 
Yeah, and the, the last thing I wanted to add, so I have a, about five, six other companies that are just close to 3%. So just to just rapid fire some of those holdings. So Apple, MasterCard, Visa, um, Canadian National, Rail. So those are just some holdings. They're very close in terms of percentage to what I have. But I think you'll talk about some of the, the ones I just mentioned in your holdings. Well, the first two for sure. I, b- I believe the first two you just said, pardon me if I'm wrong, is MasterCard and Visa. Yeah, yeah, that's it. MasterCard and Visa are the two largest positions in my portfolio, and I'm not alone on that. I know a lot of people are super, super bullish on the both of them, and uh, the runway for growth for them globally is just unbelievable. And I think they're actually cheap. Uh, I do think they're currently cheap. Took uh, until like two weeks ago last week for some of them to break all-time highs compared to their drop from the March pandemic. And wow, these companies are just firing on all cylinders. They're seeing a huge recovery. I mean, they had down quarters from global consumer spending down during the pandemic and during the lockdowns, but now they're seeing a big rebound in, in volume. So MasterCard and Visa, when I talk about them, I talk about them as one singular investment thesis and i would just prefer to own both of them uh if mastercard like some people think is growing faster in emerging markets and that's why there's a higher premium on it if that's true i want to be i want to be part of that growth and then if visa continues to have the largest market share i want to be part of that growth so they're both they have such such long rate long runway for growth they're the leader in payments. Uh, they're collecting a l- small, small percentage on every transaction, e-commerce, in-store, and uh, this pandemic has just accelerated the transition to cash is dead. Cash was already dead. Now it's super dead. Like, it, when's the last time you used cash to pay something for something? Have you used cash to pay for something since the I pandemic have. started? I actually you have. have. Once uh, we went Once? to uh, a driving range for uh, for uh, for golfing and they only took cash. So that is the last wow. the only time I know. And I just happened to have like, uh, I think, 30 bucks in my wallet that had been there for like five months. So, uh, yeah, I was really lucky. That's uh, the only time I've used it. That's hilarious. I didn't think anyone had used cash since. But uh, there we go. Uh, they both have incredible free cash margins, but, um, I got a lot of companies to go through. We did a full, or I did a full pitch on MasterCard and Visa on this show at some point. So go back on those episodes, at least 10 episodes, 15 episodes ago. All right. Next, you know, I'm bullish on vertical software acquirers. Uh, this one is Roper Technologies. Very, very similar business model as Constellation Software, which is also a position of mine, but not as large as Roper. Roper is the U.S. equivalent, essentially, uh, about $45 billion in market cap, so they become a quite large company. Very well-managed acquirer of niche vertical software. They grab recurring revenue software, big acquisitions. They just closed an acquisition over $5 billion in insurance software as a service. Uh, and software ac- acquisitions at large, large scale. They just did that entire deal with cash. And with low interest rates, this business model really, really works because they're able to get really high returns on invested capital with really, really cheap money. Uh, 
So if you're looking for an equivalent in, in Canada, Constellation Software is also an incredible acquirer and been a like 80 bagger since IPO. Constellation, I was checking the other day, 80 bagger since it IPO'd in 2006, which is absolutely nuts. Uh, another really, really great company uh, and another duopoly is Moody's Corporation. They have a duopoly on rating credit with S&P Global. And uh, their risk analytics software is really, really good. Uh, they, there's a lot of debt that needs to be rated in the next coming years, a lot of it coming due. And this duopoly on credit and bond market rating is just such a good business. It's capital light, this service. Uh, and there's only two names in the, in the, in the game, and, and Moody's going to continue to be an incredible company. Um, before we move on, any comments on Roper Moody's payments? Because I have one more payments company. Uh, no, no, uh, go for it. I mean, uh, we'll finish off with some of the uh, companies we're looking at or that we have on our watch list. So I'll probably mention a few names there, but uh, nothing with uh, to add to what you mentioned. One more that is a very large position is Simon mentioned the two uh, subsidiaries of Brookfield, which is the Renewable Energy Partners, BEP, and then Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, BIP. I prefer to own the holding company, which is listed not only on the New York Stock Exchange, but also the Toronto Stock Exchange, which is Brookfield Asset Management, the holding company, which owns a controlling stake, like 60% roughly in BEP, for example. Uh, So when that one does well, Brookfield also does well. Brookfield is really cheap right now because people do not like Brookfield uh, Property Partners, BPY. And we've talked about it on this podcast. There's reason to not be a huge fan of commercial real estate right now. But for it to be dragging down Brookfield Asset Management as a whole, right now, the valuation, I believe you're getting the asset management business, which I believe to be one of, if not the best segments of the entire business, completely for free at this price. And um, that business is incredible because there's demand for alternative assets that produce yield globally, this low interest rate uh, global infrastructure growth is really, really positive tailwinds and ask for a better management team. Uh, I dare you, it'll be hard to find it. Other companies on my watch list, uh, two more involved in payments is one that I know you own is Tencent, the Chinese massive company. Even at this size, I still think there's a huge long way, run, long runway for growth, even if it's just in China. There's a really, really nice tailwinds in their ecosystem of gaming, payments, and the smartphone messaging application. Yeah, I also, uh, I also heard there's a lot of people in China, so that, that should help. There's a couple people there. Yeah, I, yeah. Believe, I, be, I believe there's a few, few people in China. And that growing middle class is just going to be really positive for Tencent. I see Tencent just continuing to be uh, – it's a big company that I think is just going to turn into a absolutely – massive company um if if 600 million in market cap wasn't already massive enough uh and then paypal you talked about square i like paypal just a little more uh but not by much i think if you were to own the basket of paypal square mastercard and visa you will do very very well their quarter i think flew under the radar of being like insanely good 
the like the first pandemic quarter for them with over 200 billion in payments in this in the ecosystem like 230 billion and that ecosystem what i think is undervalued is someone in myself who's in software as a service with my business um and stratosphere 2 coming out is there's a lot of other businesses like affiliate marketing programs um there's a lot of them being the payment software provider for companies collecting payments, not just in e-commerce retail, but in that other type of e-commerce that I think Stripe is the obvious leader in. PayPal has made a lot of advancements in that area and that the market, I don't think, really gives credit for it. Uh, so that's something to consider. And then uh, another five I'm going to rifle off here. Autodesk number one in my in my watch list it's the leader in design software for engineering architecture uh, construction very very sticky successful transition into software as a service from the licensing model and autocad is not new but it is still dominant uh all my friends in engineering basically say there's pretty much no solid all-in-one solution than a subscription to Autodesk. Uh, I think BlackRock, another massive company, BLK, has a long runway for growth and passive act, uh, passive management products like ETFs. Uh, they have so much assets uh, bearing fees, and the growth rate, the growth rate lately has been kind of underwhelming considering those tailwinds, but I think is going to accelerate. And that's an, that's another massive company that I think is going to become more massive. Speaking of massive companies, really, really hard. And I know we've been texting back and forth. It's really, really hard to not like Alphabet. Since they've been separating revenue streams, showing the strength of YouTube, showing the strength of Google Cloud, uh, is there a larger, stronger, wider moat in the world than Google search. Uh, I'd be interested for someone to, to, to debate that. The ecosystem is so important and intertwined with our modern life. Like I said, long runway for growth, not only in the search, the advertising, but also in the YouTube and cloud. Um, I just think that this moat is so strong. If your business is not seen on Google, you're relevant. Like the, the saying goes, they hide the dead bodies on the third page of Google because you will never be seen. Uh, two more picks, Activision, Blizzard. I still think there's a huge runway for growth in gaming and esports. They can just take all their current games, make them mobile games, and pull that lever. Uh, and that's what they've been doing, and it's been really successful. Uh, mobile gaming is growing at a much faster clip than the rest of gaming. Uh, new console cycle coming out. Gaming is still just so untapped, and it's it's going to be a bigger, bigger part of, of, of what people do. And not to mention the continued success of flagship game Call of Duty. If you're to look at what the largest selling game is over the last decade, every year, uh, Call of Duty, I believe, is 8 of 10 of those years, which is pretty remarkable and shows how good the staying power of that game is. Last pick before I run out of breath, and I know this is one that we've talked about before and that I know you like, 
is Intuitive Surgical. This is a leader in robotic surgeries. They continue to make take market share in the uh, surgery industry, and they have such a such a tiny fraction of surgeries globally in the, in the U.S. And they're going to take more and more of that. Uh, their Da Vinci surgical system is years ahead of the competition. And the part that's really interesting is it's kind of like the company you were mentioning before. Or did you even mention Axis? Uh, n- no, I haven't. I'll get yeah, that, okay. uh, to that idea. <laughs> Talk about Axis yeah. because this is another thing where... Thanks for ruining the surprise, huh? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I had to like think about that for a second. Um this is very similar, spoiler alert, to what Simon's going to talk about, is their hardware, the robot, once it's in the hospital, they have this recurring revenue, this really sticky recurring revenue of, of a constant now revenue stream from that hospital on all the equipment and the consumables in surgery that have outrageously high margins. So Intuitive Surgical, the company, like gross margin every year on the whole uh, revenue is close to 70% uh, for something that is hardware seems insane, but that's because of that recurring revenue model. Once they get that really, really innovative surgical robot inside of the hospital, it's very, very sticky and produces revenue in, uh, for a long, long time to come. So spoiler alert, give us another something that's on your radar right now. Yeah. So the, there's, quite a few more on my radar but there's a lot of them that I already talked about on previous episodes I wanted to come up with something a bit uh, a bit fresher a bit new um so the one I'm currently looking at right now and I'm seriously thinking of starting a position probably in the next few weeks I just need to dig in a bit more into the financials listen to a bit more uh, conference call uh drum roll it's axon enterprises so the ticker is axn um so you're probably wondering what the hell is that uh, it's actually it used to be known as taser so that'll give you guys a good idea of what uh, what they do so they do law enforcement equipment so yes they still do taser guns they still they actually also do uh, body cameras and that's one of the big reasons why I do like them because what they do is they'll sell those body cameras for example and then uh, law enforcement will subscribe so they'll actually get uh, SaaS revenue so reoccurring revenue because they'll be storing that information securely in the cloud they can also they also have services to store evidence and they have have the optionality for different law enforcement uh, departments to share information across uh, the country and the states for example and I know some of you might think okay like why would you know depending on you know the unrest that's going on in the U.S. Um, well I actually think Axon could do a really good thing there because what's been happening is since the start of the pandemic management has said that uh, they weren't sure if law enforcement as a whole would be investing in their products as much as they anticipated uh, when the uh, the pandemic started because of budget concerns. But now as the social unrest started in the U.S. and has escalated, um, they've really seen an uptick because now 
law enforcement is to stay is there's much more of a demand to be transparent and especially with the body cameras it really allows law enforcement to give that level of transparency whenever there's issues with law enforcement um, and it does give them that reoccurring revenue and one of the most interesting thing is their uh, their revenue um, their reoccurring revenue is actually over a hundred percent this year so what this means is the ones that are currently subscribing to their services are actually staying put, but also getting more services. So that's always a great sign. Um, we can do a deep dive into this later on. I still haven't done all the research regarding that company, but uh, given what's happening and they do have a presence uh, internationally as well, um, I think the uh, the runway is pretty uh, pretty long for that that company going forward and they shifted to that SaaS model in the uh, around 2013 if I remember correctly so it took some time for that to get into effect but now they're seeing more and more that uh, their product is stickier than ever and just the solutions that they offer I think with what's going on in 2020 and probably the years beyond uh, to me it's a it's a bit of a no-brainer and even if you think about defunding the police well a lot of defunding the police is actually just reallocating those funds into other things, but there's still plenty of funding that will go to the police in the States. Um, that's what they've been seeing. And their goal is really to yeah help police department, law enforcement, give more transparency. So, I mean, I think that one is a really interesting play and I'll do a bit more research and we can always do a deeper dive on it. So that is one that's on my watch list and it's actually... We talked about this before, uh, Braden. It's trading at only what nine point five ten times sales. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, just a casual low multiple of ten times sales. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's mostly because people are either not familiar with it or they still see them as strictly that Taser company. Um, they still have a pretty small market cap. Like they're still kind of small cap territory with uh, just slightly below $6 billion US. So uh, definitely an interesting play there compared to some of the other valuations we're seeing uh, a bit more in the uh, tech space. And they have zero debt. They do have some liabilities, but a really good uh, looking balance sheet as well so that that got me pretty excited when i looked into them um so something to keep you guys on uh, on the watch list um any comment on this one uh, brayden yeah if it's only about six billion like you mentioned this, this sounds like a company that's going to be a lot bigger in the future and you know the canadian investor does not get political whatsoever in any way but we can both agree on that given the current environment, there's probably an increased need for transparency uh, in, in law enforcement. So I could see them benefiting from that tailwind. And, uh, and, and, and if, if they are able to achieve that, that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah, and when you have like, and what they've shown is when you have that law enforcement agency into that, their ecosystem uh, they've really shown that it's been sticky so really interesting play all that to say um the other thing that i've been buying um 
not really a watch list because I've been buying it, is uh, the uh, PSCT, the Invesco uh, S&P Small Cap Information Technology. So it's a small cap ETF for uh, small uh, for companies. And it, it has a 0 0.29 uh, management ratio. So it is reasonable. So that's a way for me to just get a little uh, skin in the game for small tech companies that I would not be aware of, but uh, that could potentially become big in the future. So that is one that I've been adding a few shares every month. And because uh, Quest Trade uh, doesn't charge for ETFs um, for purchases, um, then it's something I can do. So that's kind of uh, in a nutshell, my portfolio, but also some of the things I've been looking at. That's an interesting way to play small caps. And I've thought about this a lot, but I've never, never done it. So it's good to see that you're executing on that because one, yeah, you can just dollar cost average on it really easily and frequently with the free ETF purchase. But also, um, how, how are you supposed to know? And you said there's what, 75 holdings roughly? Yeah, yeah, 75 holdings. Yeah, yeah. The, the chances of you knowing even just a few of those names is very, very small for one person to be studying. So hopping on a broad base, I mean, this is not that big, but 75 companies is a reasonable amount of small cap companies with high growth and in infotech, which is obviously secular trend written all over it. That's a really interesting way to play it. I like it. Um, I've considered doing that for other secular trends. But then again, I look at my list here and I'm like, have I mentioned I like payments yet? <laughs> I think you've mentioned that a few times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good. It's good to mention that. And then additionally, I have other Canadian TSX listed uh, things on my radar and things that I'm buying. I don't want to disclose all of that because... A lot of my customers at uh, Stratosphere Investing pay for that service to get some of my top picks and analyst um, analysis on, on those names. So I don't want to go ahead and do that this early in the month. But that being said, these are a lot of the U.S. names we're looking at. Uh, Brookfield, obviously, being one listed on the TSX and, and Constellation being another one on the TSX that we mentioned that have lots of lots of growth. And I still can't believe how cheap Brookfield is. I, it is by far the largest position in my portfolio, and I'd be happy with it doubling. Actually, I had a question for you. I'll put you on the spot uh, just because you mentioned it. Moody's. Shoot it away. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it's a Canadian company. So uh, quick thoughts on uh, TMX, uh, Toronto Montreal Exchange. TMX. Is that what TMX stands for? Yeah. The TMX yeah, yeah. group? Yeah, yeah. because uh, TMX used to be, so they merged the Toronto Stock Exchange with the Montreal Stock Exchange. Yeah, and Montreal yeah, yeah. used to be all derivatives, right? So um, ah, that's why it became uh, TMX. Is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was kind of thinking about it when you were talking about uh, Moody's and how they pretty much have like, you know, monopoly when it comes to, uh, you know, listing stocks in Canada, but also derivatives, mm. right? Yep. Yeah, no, it, like that's ticker X, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, it. just just the, the Toronto Stock X. Exchange. Geo. Yeah. I like the exchanges um, as investments, as a group. I I don't love them, but I like them. Um, I would even be happy. I would be happy owning NASDAQ, which is listed. I'd be happy owning X, which is the, the TMX group. TMX group has done some really interesting things uh, with the venture uh, and yeah, if you want to list in Canada, 
that's the only place you're going to be able to list. So they do have a monopoly. That being said, how how attractive is international companies coming to list in Canada? I don't know. I haven't really, I don't have some bull thesis on that, but if you're a Canadian company, and and here's another another thought for you here, if you look at job growth in Toronto, in the tech sector, we have been running laps around some of the biggest tech hubs in North America, including Silicon Valley, by by pure jobs. Um, there's been so many successful uh, Canadian startups out of here and, and Montreal, um, and just obviously other cities as well, but Toronto. Yeah. Has decent really, amount in Ottawa too. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Shopify, hello. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So there's been some really, really interesting, uh, developments in, in that, in tech, especially in those markets we're talking about. And I have some theory that, you know, the built in margin of selling to the U S as a already super high margin software subscription company, you get that built in margin with the dollar. And then you come here and you scale with the Canadian dollar, you're hiring Canadian talent. Um, the margins are incredible. And uh, Andrew Wilkinson, he is a guy out of Victoria, BC. He built a very uh, big design company called MetaLab. He now has like almost over 30 software companies and different tech companies that he owns uh, in like a little holding company that he like, he loved Warren Buffett and loved the concept of, of owning all these companies. So he did that. If you don't know Andrew Wilkinson, you can look him up on Twitter. He's awesome. He's from, he's from uh, Victoria, BC. And he talked about how he was running these companies and getting amazing margin baked in because of the U.S. dollar, because um, he was doing all of his business south of the border. So I like the ecosystem going full circle back to your question about TMX having that monopoly on it um, and them actually executing and providing value in interesting ways. I like it, and I don't love it. Yeah, we should probably at some point, if uh, you guys... Uh want us to do a deeper dive on it we can do that but uh, no I, th- I figured it was an interesting concept uh, after you talked about moody's um just yeah i feel like they have a pretty solid mode in canada plus they pay a two percent dividend they do pay pay a little dividend i will say in my kind of checklist and then moody's is a global duopoly right is when I look at, at my, like, what I consider a stratosphere compound is, compounder is, does it have the ability to have legs on, like, a global secular growth trend and make, make material difference on a global scale? Well, be the, a huge winner in your portfolio. The one curveball, I think, that could be a big tailwind for them, and that remains to be seen, is uh, depending what the U.S. does with uh, Chinese-listed companies in the U.S., um, Canada could mm. become an option for them. And I've heard that before. It's not the first time. So, but obviously that, you know, a lot of stuff can happen that will impact that. But that is the one, I think, wild card that could be a huge tailwind for them. That is certainly a wild card. I had never thought about that. I don't think I, that would be my thesis to buy the stock. But hey, if that worked out, 
he'd probably be holding on to a pretty big bagger. Plus, I wanted to add a little more Canadian stock content. You know, you're usually the one that adds more of them, so you know, I gotta keep up with I, you. I got a long laundry list, but it is September third uh, or September second as of recording this. Sorry, and September first was the first Tuesday of the month, and uh, that is paid content. Given that paid content and other stuff, getstockmarket.com on my website, get a list of, of companies on the Canadian side and U.S. companies with all the metrics you could ever think of. And my God, Simon, we are so close to launching Stratosphere 2. Like, it could be tomorrow the beta starts. I'm really, really close on the software. It's It's beautiful. Guys. Are you still I, I, uh, are you still taking new beta users or that's closed? I mean, I, I I'm gonna say it's closed because uh, I have a lot. Like you guys have been really good about reaching out. But Simon, I was showing you it after one of our calls and sharing my screen. It is it's money. Yeah, it looks really good. No, it's uh, it's worth it. I'm sure the the beta taste uh, testers will really enjoy it. Uh, a lot of functionality. Um, really, I mean, at first glance, it looks really good. Mm -hmm. thank you so much for listening this week guys these are just some of the companies that we have in our portfolios as well as on our radar thank you so much for listening we will see you guys next week bye-bye the canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice Braden or simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions